0: The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would please, to Revelation chapter 20, and if you'll find that scripture rather quickly, we're Going to read from God's Word. Let's stand for the reading, if you would. Uh, It's better to stand now than it will be to stand after you hear what's said here. You don't want to stand in this place that we're going to read about in just a moment. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10 And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let me read just one other scripture to you, Matthew twenty-five forty-one. Jesus is speaking. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Father, we thank you for the time we have to look in your word today. Help us, Lord, as we open up the scriptures today to see the truth that you would have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Today, we come to our final message on the delusion of the devil. Surprised I don't hear cheers and amens right now. I've spent many, many weeks going over uh, this very unpleasant subject. And I hate to keep beating this drum over and over again, but hell, preaching on hell, is something that's very sorely needed. America is never going to have a revival of Christianity until preachers in their pulpits return to preaching the great doctrines of the faith, which include things like heaven and hell, and especially dealing with, the in, in the gospel of Christ, dealing with hell that's out there for every person who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. What we sorely need today is much more instruction about sin and about judgment, about Satan and about hell. The great revivals of the past in America and other countries of the world were driven by preaching on these very things, on preaching about judgment. The first Christian messages that were preached by John the Baptist and also by Jesus were messages about repentance from sin and about eternal damnation. And I realize that it's much easier for us to draw crowds into the church for pleasantries and have people hear things that tickle the ears, it's much easier to get people in by preaching those things than it is to speak to people about the awful prospects that people without Christ are going to die and go to hell. But the truth of the matter is, we are no preachers of Christ if we do not include preaching about this doctrine. Hell and judgment were frequent topics for Jesus. He always had something to say about what would happen to unbelievers and about wickedness and even when he wasn't talking about hell, always implied in what he had to say uh, was punishment, that it's very clear there's going to be punishment for those who do not follow him and believe in him as their God. Now, the trend of preaching today is to steer clear of any type of thing that is going to upset people, that's going to make them uncomfortable as they sit in the pew. And so preachers just push this kind of doctrine aside and say, we're not going to talk about that, that makes people unhappy. But we've got to preach this doctrine of hell. This is what Jesus did. He disturbed the status quo of people. They didn't want to hear about hell either when he preached about it, but he was willing to disturb them, even disturbing religious leaders. The disciples said to him, Don't you understand that you have upset the Pharisees? And that is exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to upset them. He didn't want them to remain uncomfortable in their unbelief. And he didn't want them to stay there, but rather he wanted to drive them to the realization of where they were going if they didn't turn from their wicked ways. And so Jesus often held their feet to the fire, and eventually they crucified him because of it. But if we would just listen to Jesus preach, we would hear Him very clearly say, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I am not sent, to the lost, uh, to, uh, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And in all of those statements, there is the identification of sin and of sinners, and they require, they require an explanation of what happens to people that don't believe. They require information about the seriousness of unbelief. The consequences of it are monumental, and the remedy for it wouldn't have been the most miraculous of all the events that happened in the world, that God became a man and went to a cross and died. If hell was not such an awful prospect, we wouldn't need the monumental sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so this is the constant theme of his preaching. We must be saved. That there is a great danger out there if we are not saved. And just as Jesus said, there's a day coming when he is going to separate the lost from the saved and those that are lost are going to the place for the devil and his angels. Now, well, Satan doesn't want you to know about hell. He wants you to be offended at the prospects of it. He doesn't want your preacher to tell you about it. He doesn't like to get this information out because in this we find out what God thinks of sin. And what God thinks of sinners... And so the devil puts it in the minds of preachers to completely forget about, completely push the preaching of hell out of the preaching. Avoid the discussion altogether. And this discussion tells us what will happen if you don't give up everything that you are to receive everything that Christ is. Now a moment ago I said that revival would not come to America until preachers return to preaching the doctrine of hell. The greatest revival that occurred in American history was in the 18th century. That's called the Great Awakening. And Jonathan Edwards, who was perhaps the greatest theologian that was ever produced by this country preached a powerful sermon that was entitled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And that was a sermon about hell. And he preached that sermon many times. And the message of that sermon resounded throughout New England so that when he was finished and when the Great Awakening was in progress and was over, there were 35,000 people that came to Christ because of the preaching of these great sermons like sinners in the hands of an angry God. It's preaching on hell that actually drove people to the cross of Christ. Let me just read a few lines from his sermon. His text verse was Deuteronomy 32, verse number 35, which says, "...to me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste." And Edwards commented on this verse, and he says, "...the reason why they are not now fallen already and do not fall now..." is only that God's appointed time is not come. For it is said that when that due time or appointed time comes, their foot shall slide. Then they shall be left to fall as they are inclined by their own weight. God will not hold them up in these slippery places any longer, but will let them go. And then at that very instant they shall fall into destruction. As he that stands on such slippery, declining ground on the edge of a pit, he cannot stand alone. When he is let go, he immediately falls and is lost. The observation from the words that I would not insist upon is this. There is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. By the mere pleasure of God, I mean His sovereign pleasure, His arbitrary will, restrained by no obligation, hindered by no manner of difficulty any more than if nothing else, but by God's mere will had in the last degree or in any respect whatsoever any hand in the preservation of wicked men for one moment. And you children who are unconverted, do not you know that you are going down to hell to bear the dreadful wrath of that God? which is now angry with you every day and every night? Will you be content to be the children of the devil when so many other children in the land are converted and are become the holy and happy children of the King of kings? And people responded to that message because that's a biblical message. They responded to it because that's the type of preaching that the Holy Spirit uses to move hearts towards Jesus Christ because the danger of hell is so real. That is a biblical sermon. And just as he said, the world is standing over the edge of hell. There's an open pit of hell, and the only thing that separates people from that place and keeps them from falling in is one breath. Just one breath. The last breath that you take, everyone is ready to fall into hell unless God does something to prevent it. The wrath of God is hotly kindled. This was the message of Edwards. The wrath of God is kindled against sin. God is angry at the wicked every day. And as we look at what's happened in this country since the time of Edwards, are we so foolish not to think that God hasn't heated the furnace of hell seven times hotter because of the sins that we have committed? Now, at present, God is long suffering. He patiently waits for repentance, but that time is coming to a close. A time is coming when God is going to bring judgment. And when judgment comes, there will be punishment for sin. And that's what this text talks about, judgment and punishment. Well, in the conclusion of these messages today, I want to explain why we preach the doctrine of endless punishment. Why aren't we, like other churches, why aren't we just the generic church that never says anything about hell? Why are we different from that? Why don't we just leave the subject alone, like most do, and just don't talk about hell? Well, it's because we want to be a biblical church. It's because we want to be a church that preaches the same things that Jesus preached, and he often preached on this subject. So I want to talk about this issue today, is why that we do believe that hell is endless punishment. So this is the fourth part of our outline, and that is the consensus for eternal punishment now i've tried to show you that there there isn't an excuse for the exclusion of preaching on hell there isn't any question the bible teaches it if all that we had was this 20th chapter of revelation here we have enough to establish the doctrine but there is so much more in scripture about it as i said jesus just laced his preaching with this There are descriptions of hell in in the Scriptures. And Jesus used that graphic illustration that we talked about last week of of the valley of Hinnom that was right next to Jerusalem, which was the garbage dump for the city. And as He looked over into that valley with the burning fires that were there, He saw a visual demonstration that He could put in front of the people to show them what hell is like. And so that place, that valley, had characteristics of hell. Fires that are always burning, the stench, the smoke, the worms that are crawling over the garbage, worms that never die. And Jesus used all of that as symbols of what hell is like. Hell is a place of endless suffering. There is no annihilation of the soul and the body in hell. And yet, despite all the biblical evidence for it, that hell is an endless place of endless punishment... There are still many Christians who don't believe that. They they say there is is no everlasting hell, or some of them say there is the annihilation of the body. It just passes out of existence. Now, the truth is that hell is entrenched in the human psyche. We have a sense of hell because we're human. God has put that into the inside of, of every person to know that hell is real. People might not understand what the Bible has to say about it, just as they don't understand the God who created it. But that doesn't change the fact that inside of us there is this knowledge that there is a place that is called hell. There's punishment that's coming. There's something that God has put inside of us to know that the, the afterlife or what comes afterward has some kind of relation to what happens and what, to what we do here. People are confused about that. They don't understand how those two things relate, but they're definitely sure of this one thing. What we do here somehow relates to what's going to happen in the afterlife. People are not going to deny hell, they're not going to deny God, because that is in their heart. And the only way that they do is they have to be educated against it. You're not born with the belief that there isn't a God, a hell, or a heaven. You have to be educated against that. No, this is something that is innate in every human being. Now we would ask a question like this, uh, do you believe in unicorns? When was the last time that you read an article in the paper where Somebody argued against or for the existence of unicorns. Do you believe that the earth is flat? Or that there are elephants that hold up the earth on their backs? You don't find anybody arguing that, do you? You don't find anybody with an elephant theology today. There are no arguments constructed for or against elephant theology. But this is what William shed said about this concerning hell, he said, "...the very denial of endless retribution evinces by its spasmodic eagerness and effort to disprove the tenet, the firmness with which it is entrenched in man's moral constitution. If there really was no hell, absolute indifference toward the notion would long since have been the mood of all mankind, and no arguments either for or against it would be constructed." Now, you see what Shedd is saying? Uh, If there is no hell... If it wasn't a part of our constitutional makeup, it would have long since gone the way of the unicorn. Nobody would be talking about this and arguing about it, making uh, theological discourses on whether there is a heaven or whether there is a hell, actually. They're not going to talk about those things, but they have in every century. It still goes on today in all cultures. This is something that is real. People know about this. Even non-Christian religions have some sort of theology about the afterlife that includes punishment. Now, what we need to do is to understand what, what's going on here. What does the Bible have to say about it? So we're going to look at some of the reasons why we teach the doctrine of endless punishment. Now, the first reason that we teach it is because of what hell is designed for. The design that is intended. Why would God create a place called hell? Well, the truth can't be decided by taking a poll, but if we were to take a poll of people, I'm sure that we would find that many people think that God is the cause of hell. That people are angry about this because without God, without what God did, there wouldn't be a hell. Well, the truth is there isn't anything in God that makes hell a necessity. This is not... Hell doesn't exist because of an action that God has taken... Uh, Nothing he did makes hell necessary. Hell exists because of the acts of those that he created. If that first sin had not been committed by man, then there wouldn't be a hell for man. Man's actions caused him to be subject to hell. And all sin that's in the human race is because of what we did, and it's not because of what God did. Have you ever thought of this? That hell is the product of man's free will. Well, that's true from before the fall, and it's true afterwards. Adam sinned, death passed upon all men. Adam had free will, but what he did was to choose against God. But didn't God provide an immediate remedy for him? We know that he did. God took animals, he slew animals, and in a picture he made a sacrifice that man can be atoned, his sin can be atoned for. And so Adam was given a remedy for his sin right away. And if man had stopped sinning right then and there, there would not have been this place called hell to receive those who are unbelievers and sinners against God because sin would have stopped right there. And so only Satan and his demons would have been in hell. But we all know this, that man did not stop. And there's none of us that can blame Adam for where we are right now because this is what we want to do. We want to sin against God. We want our own way. We don't want to listen to what God says. Man's free will leads him nowhere but for the need of endless punishment. Now, let me me just put it to you simply. If you haven't trusted Christ, you are a part of the reason there is no hell. Hell exists because of the creature, not because of the Creator. God had provided a way that punishment can be escaped. He gave His own Son. He gave Christ. He gave Him to die for us as a substitute for our sins. And it's only because of man's stubbornness and refusal to repent that hell exists. In his own words, God said, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. See, God is willing to forgive. God is willing to settle the issue. But people will not repent grace and mercy have been extended by god but people will not repent and hell exists because of us and not because of god now listen very carefully to this the purpose of hell the purpose of it is punishment the intended design of hell is punishment and hell must be everlasting because hell was never intended to reform anyone we're not talking about remedial punishment Hell is not intended to reform, it is intended to punish. There is no one who is improved by punishment. The only way that we can be improved is by redemption. If we could be improved by punishment, then, then we don't need redemption. Christ would never have needed to come into the world to die if punishment is going to do the trick of making us right with God. And so God would just say, well, you've sinned against me and uh, I'm going to punish you and punish you to such an extent that all of your sins can be paid for. Now, if God resorted to punishment to improve us, then punishment actually would turn out to be more effective than redemption. Do you understand that? Because punishment would mean Everybody. If that improved it, it would mean everybody eventually gets to heaven. Sometime or another, they're going to get there. Whereas redemption says only some are going to be there. Only those who are believers in Jesus Christ. So if hell is meant to improve us, then it becomes a greater incentive. It becomes the thing that will take us to heaven rather than Jesus Christ. Is that screwed up? Is that backwards to think like that? Now the improvement theory is actually the basis... For the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory. That Christ didn't do enough. That his death was insufficient to pay the full penalty of sin. And so a person has to be punished by the fires in order to purge him, in order to make him fit, in order to get into heaven. And so, if that's true, purgatory is actually more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ. Because the blood of Christ can't get you into heaven, but being punished in the fire can. Hell has to be eternal punishment because men are never improved by punishment. The design is not to improve, it is to punish. Secondly, we preach endless punishment because the doctrine of the atonement is affected. If hell is not real and punishment is not eternal, then the atonement is affected. Christianity is the only religion that has an atonement, the atoning Death of Jesus Christ is peculiar to Christianity. No other religions have this. It's actually the pinnacle of Christian truth. The atonement is God's selfless act. And if hell exists or does not exist, or if hell is finite in time, then the atonement is devalued. The suffering of Christ could not be infinite, and crimes against God are reduced to nothing more than crimes against man. And if that's true, then God could have chosen someone else. Or God could have chosen another method for atonement. He didn't need to send his own son. As one author said, the cross and hell stand or fall together. Hell is extreme, but that is because sin is extreme. And because extreme measures were taken for our salvation. We cannot survey the wondrous cross, meditate on what the Savior suffered, and assert that hell is an inappropriate punishment for sin now because the one who died for sins of infinite worth the suffering of sin against him must be infinite to satisfy that worth otherwise the payment of sin that's made by jesus christ the son of god who is the god man is a payment that far exceeds the one that needs to be made now let me give you an example of this you kind of have to follow this closely don't get lost with me here Think for just a minute about David's sin against Uriah. We know that story of how David stole Uriah's wife Bathsheba and committed adultery with her and then in order to cover up that sin, David had Uriah murdered. And as far as man is concerned, there is a penalty that'll satisfy that crime. The satisfaction would be David's death. Man can't do anything more than to die, to give his life. And so Man can give nothing but that, and when the life is taken, we consider that punishment satisfied, justice has been done, because you can't do anything further to a dead man. You can't punish him anymore, and so we consider justice is satisfied if you take a person's life. But we notice that when David was confronted by the prophet Nathan, that it wasn't against Uriah that he said that his sin was so serious. He said, it is against you, God. And so he says in Psalm 51, Against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. So the greater sin was against God. And if we can say that David's sin could be satisfied by a finite punishment, that is by giving his life, then God would stand in the same relationship to David as David did to Uriah. Do you understand this? David knew that the reason that he needed to repent was the concern of the greater sin that is against God, that he could not satisfy God by giving his life. That that won't satisfy God. The only thing that can is infinite punishment. The fact that God became man and paid such a prodigious price to remove our sins is the greatest argument for eternal punishment. Hell cannot be annihilation because it devalues the, the value uh, devalues Christ's blood. It devalues the, the suffering of the cross. If it's not everlasting, then neither was the suffering of Christ infinite. And what eternal punishment does, it establishes the extreme difference between the nature of man and the nature of God. You see, if you go to heaven forever, you're never going to become God. And when you go to hell, you are never going to be punished in a way not even a million men dying a million deaths could be punished in such a way to match the worth of Christ's death for sin. Now, thirdly, we believe in endless punishment because endless sin must be endlessly punished. You see, when a person dies and goes to hell, he doesn't stop sinning or being a sinner. He never ceases to be guilty of his sin. The divine sentence of the lost condition is found in Revelation 2211. 11, which says, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still, and he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. There is no change in a person's condition in hell. Now, in order for a person to get into heaven, the guilt of his sin has to be removed. It he has to be determined and judged to be no longer a sinner. But that's not the case that you have in hell, because in hell, sin goes on, and so therefore the guilt of sin goes on. When a crime is committed, there, there isn't any amount of time that can go by that could cause a person to be not guilty of that crime. Even a person who spends his life in prison, spends the whole life there, there is never a time that he is not guilty of committing his crime. Well, that's a problem for heaven. So what God had to do was to provide a way that guilt of sin can be taken away. And so by Christ's sacrifice and the imputation of Christ's righteousness to the sinner, and then by our sins being charged upon Christ, the one who commits sin is declared not guilty. The record of his sin is expunged. All of it's wiped away. And so there is no longer any reason for punishment. Now, that's what we call the doctrine of double imputation. And that might not make any sense at all to you right now. So let me just make it really simple for you. What God did for those who believe in Jesus Christ, is to charge all the goodness that Christ had in a perfect, obedient life, to take all of that goodness and give it to the person who believes in Christ. And then he took all the sins that we commit, and he placed them upon Jesus Christ. And so Jesus became the sinner in our place. That's double imputation. We get Christ's righteousness, he gets our sin. And on the cross, Jesus died for our sin. Now, there's a remarkable demonstration of this in the Old Testament in sacrifices that were made at the tabernacle. There are two things, there there are two words that express what happens when a person is justified by faith. The two words are, first, propitiation. That is the satisfaction of God's wrath. And the other word is expiation which is the removal of man's guilt. Both of those are pictured in the Day of Atonement, in a ceremony on that day in the Old Testament. On that one day of the year, two goats were taken. One of those goats was killed as a sacrifice, and the blood of that goat was taken into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, and that blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. And in a picture, what the children of Israel were showing there, and what the priest did was to sprinkle the blood as an atonement, a satisfaction to God that pictured Jesus Christ's blood that would be shed on the cross of Calvary. There was a second goat, and the second goat wasn't killed. It was treated differently. Instead, the sins of the people were confessed upon the head of that goat, and then that goat was taken out in the wilderness and set free, never to be seen again. And that goat was to picture that guilt, has been taken away. And so that goat went away. The sins confessed on his head went with him. And that's what Christ did for us. He took our guilt away. Christ did both of those in his death. He accomplished satisfaction to God for sin. And that's our propi- the propitiation of God. And then the expiation of our guilt. He did both of those things on the cross. And both of those things are necessary. And by the way, folks, the, the Old Testament... Picture is destroyed if the death of Christ was for any more than do actually believe. Hypothetical redemption can't be pictured by these two goats. This is redemption accomplished and applied. Now, here, here is the problem for the person that's in hell. His problem is, even if he could satif- satisfy God's wrath by his punishment, what he can never do is to have his guilt taken care of. There is no way that his guilt can be removed from him. And to escape hell, both of those have to be accomplished. And then we would also note this, that that sin arises out of the sinful nature. And when you go to hell, the nature is not changed. You go to hell with the same nature, you have a sinful nature in you. Death does not change man's nature. If it did, then all that we would need to do is die in order to get to heaven. Everybody would go because all we really need is to have the nature change, but death does not change our nature. The nature stays the same. The nature has to be changed before you go through death, and it's changed by belief in Jesus Christ. And so the person who dies and goes to hell still has a sinful nature, and what do people do with the sinful nature? They continue to sin. And so hell is a place where sin goes on. It never stops there. Nobody repents in hell because their nature isn't changed. Shedd also wrote, sin is the suicidal action of the human will. A man is not forced to kill himself, but if he does, he cannot bring himself to life again. A man is not forced to sin, and if he does, he can't go back to where he was before sinning. And so in hell... Sin is perpetuated. Man's rebellion and hatred for God only intensifies for the time that he's there. And so the result of that is perpetual punishment because there is perpetual sin. One author also said that sin is the only perpetual motion which is yet to be found out. It needs nothing but a beginning to keep it incessantly going on. So imagine in hell, you have people that have no will to change, no desire to change, no ability to repent, no desire to serve God, and then on top of that, they're there in continuous, unbearable suffering. What's that going to do? It only hardens that sinner in hell more against God, and so he sins continually, and that sin fuels the fire of hell and keeps it going. But that's far away from God's new world. Sinners in hell are forgotten, though they do still exist. They're out of the picture as far as God is concerned. They're away from God, and God and his people are not concerned about what happens in hell. Now, there is a fourth reason that hell is endless punishment, and I think this one will surprise you. First, it's endless punishment because of the design of hell. Next, it's endless because the atonement is devalued without it. Then, thirdly, it's endless because uh, sin in hell is is continually going on. And now fourthly, and quite surprisingly, hell must be forever because it is the preferred destiny of the sinner. Can you imagine that? Hell is actually the preferred place to go for the sinner. And when a soul dies, there are only one of two places that it can go. We're not perplexed about what to choose because there's such a wide variety of different places for people. No, there are only two, and you go to one of these two. Additionally, the Scriptures teach that God deals with people on the basis of only two things. It's whether they're lost or whether they're saved, whether they are righteous or unrighteous, whether they are redeemed or unredeemed. Those are, that's the categories, only two of them And God deals with people only on the basis of those two categories, and people in those two categories go to one of two places. So there isn't any confusion about where people are going to go that do not believe in Christ. They go to hell. The only other possibility is heaven. Now we would ask this question then, if a person doesn't desire the company of Christians in this life, and this is when Christians are still sinners. I mean, we still commit some of the same sins that lost people do, only we've been redeemed for those sins. But lost people don't want to be around Christians. They don't want to have anything to do with us. Why would that lost person want to be around Christians in heaven where Christians are perfect and totally different from them? Now, here's the reason that that lost people don't like Christians and why you're going to have a hard time living like a Christian among them and being their friends, it's because the light that a Christian lives in exposes their sin. Now, the Scripture clearly says that lost people don't come to the light because their deeds are evil. They don't want their deeds to be exposed. Can you imagine that a person who is lost in his sins and guilty of his sins goes to heaven in the perfect light of Jesus Christ and the brilliance of righteousness that he's going to be happy with it there, when all that it ever does is expose the fact that he is a guilty sinner. So he doesn't want heaven. Christians live in the light of redemption. We have a hope that it's steadfast. Salvation has given us an incredibly different worldview. And we look at things completely different. Christianity is a benevolent religion, the most benevolent in the world, hospitals and education and help for the poor. All of those things are Christian works. But what does the world do? The world kills babies. The world gambles. The world steals. The world robs from the poorest. There are millions of gallons of liquor that are made every year that kill people on our highways and split apart families. And yet the world prefers that more than they do the righteousness of God. For all the good that Christianity does, it's met with an opposition that sometimes seems almost overwhelming, that we don't even know what to do with it. Explain why people want to kill themselves in whatever manner it is, and to kill each other. Why do people want the freedom to do any vice that they want? And why do people say, you can't legislate morality? Don't even try to legislate morality. How are they going to enjoy heaven when that's all that God does is legislate morality? They're not going to live there. They don't want to live there. They hate a place like that. They're not suited for it. And God has not made a lost person for heaven. Oh, you think about Lucifer. He was in heaven. He saw heaven. He, he saw it. He's the most beautiful or was the most beautiful of heaven's creatures. He sinned, but he was never repentant of it. He saw everything that is in heaven. He experienced all of that firsthand, but he didn't want it. Lost people don't know what's there. They haven't seen that. What makes you think that people would desire heaven more than they would hell? They don't, because they don't understand heaven. What they think heaven is, what a man, a lost man wants in heaven, is the freedom to do all the things that he does here. To sin even greater ways, to satisfy the lust that he has here. He's not going to enjoy heaven because he doesn't understand it. But neither does he understand hell. Instead, he prefers hell because you tell him he's going there. He doesn't care because he says, my friends are there. My family is there. I'll go to be with them. Hell is all right. He goes to hell because he prefers it. He listened to the delusion of the devil and he wants to stay there. He, he never wants heaven. His nature tells him that it's better to go to hell forever because nobody wants to leave if the only other option is to serve God forever. Lucifer wouldn't do that. The evil angels wouldn't do it. Do you remember as we studied that the... Uh, The devil and his angels are going to be cast into the abyss for a thousand years while Christ rules upon the earth. And when that thousand years are over, the devil leaves that place and his evil angels leave that place. And what do they do? They go right back to what they did before. And then you have all of these lost people that are living on the earth in the millennial kingdom. And what do they do? They don't like the righteousness of God. They don't like God to rule over them. So what do they do? They rebel against God because what? They love sin. They don't want to live in righteousness. They're not going to enjoy heaven. They don't want heaven because that's all that heaven is, righteousness. Have you noticed that the rich man in hell never said, this is the story that Jesus told about the rich man in hell, he never said, will you let me out? Not once did he say that. We would expect him to say that. He never said, let me out. He never said, I repent. I'll turn around. I'll serve you God forever if you'll just let me out of this place. He never said that at all. But what he did say was, alleviate my suffering somewhat here in hell. Doesn't that tell you something? Lost people don't want to go to heaven Not when the option is to serve God. They want to be in hell. To go to heaven requires a change of heart. To go to heaven requires a change of nature. To go to heaven requires a change of desire. And no lost person has that desire. And isn't that remarkable that people in eternal punishment don't even know enough to get out? They don't want out because the alternative is God. They didn't want Him here. And they won't want Him there. And so have you considered this? Have you considered who you blame for hell? Is God the cause of hell? Do you blame Him because your friends and your family have gone there and you are going there? Do you blame God for that? Don't blame Him. Blame yourself. Blame your own sins because that's what made hell A necessity. But let me give you a final word. Oh, this could be so depressing. All of us are born in sin. We all came from Adam. We're all born in sin. And we're going to continue in sin. But we have a final word here. And that is that God's love for the sinner is greater than the sinner's love of sin. Do you understand that? God's love for the sinner is greater than the sinner's love of sin. And this is why he sent Jesus into the world. God knew that you weren't going to turn from sin. God knew that you would never desire him. God knows that you will never choose him because the only thing that you will ever choose is to go on sinning. You never change your mind about that. You'll only choose to go on sinning, and you will never change your mind unless God does something about it. And what God did was to send his own son into the world To die for sin. And God provided a way of redemption. And God said there is a way. That you can get rid of your sins forever. And all of your guilt can be taken away. And so he gave his son. He said I will provide the way for you. Hell does not exist because of God's activity. But I can promise you this. That heaven exists only because of God's activity. Now Christ died to give another option. And this other option is that people can be in heaven with him. So here we've come to the end of our series. Christ died for this, to end the delusion of the devil. In First John, it says, in this, can we have that? He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Jonathan Edwards, in that great sermon, pleaded for people to come to Christ. And let everyone that is yet of Christ and hanging over the pit of hell, whether they be old men and women or middle-aged or young people or little children, now hearken to the loud calls of God's word and providence. And that's what I desire for you to do. Everyone that is yet of Christ, hearken to the loud calls of God, to come to Him, to obey God's Word, to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and avoid hell. Avoid the place where the devil and his angels will be and where they're going to be kept forever. The promise is Jesus saves. And Jesus will save you now. And He'll save you forever. He'll change your heart. He'll change your nature and it will give you a new home where all that you'll ever want to do is praise and glorify and serve the living God. Heaven is the place that you want to be if you know Jesus Christ. I hope that you'll come to him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to the conclusion of our series about the devil, we're thankful, Lord, to give him up turn away from this kind of preaching to something that's better suited for those that are going to heaven we realize as we talk about hell among our congregation that we have professed believers in jesus christ and mostly what we're doing is just giving information that helps them to understand what you've done and then also lord to uh, have a stronger desire to turn people away from this awful place, even as Edwards preached with a, with a fervent heart, begging and pleading for people to avoid the awful place called hell. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who has delivered us from that place. And so we are glad to leave this doctrine, even though we know we must continue to preach it. We're ready to move on to talk about heaven and what you promised for those who are believers in you. So Lord, help us, though, to keep this on our minds not to turn loose of this. We've had these many, many weeks to discuss it. Help us to retain this information, to give this to people who need it. And Lord, may we be ever mindful of that awful place where people will die and go without you. Turn hearts to you today, Lord. Change someone who has not yet realized who Jesus Christ is and what he does for lost sinners. Lord, we just pray that your grace and mercy will be extended and you would open hearts to the gospel of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. What, uh, 250 years or so since Jonathan Edward preached his sermons in the Great Awakening? And Edwards' claim to fame is, well, there are many of them, but one of the main ones was that sermon that I just mentioned to you, Sinners in the Hands of Angry God. I scarcely think that there uh, is hardly any Christian that would know the title of any of, other, of the other of Jonathan Edwards' sermons. Even though he preached for many, many years, and many people were saved, and that wasn't the only sermon that he had, yet that's the one that stands out and the one that we go back to when we think of Jonathan Edwards. And he preached on hell. That was the calling card for that great preacher. Jonathan, uh, rather, uh, John the Baptist, his first sermon that he preached in Matthew chapter 3 was people are going to die and go to hell if they don't repent of their sins. Jesus, when he was baptized and entered into his public ministry, his first sermon was about repenting from sin or dying and going to hell. And yet we come down today, and you can go to church probably for years sometimes, and there's no mention of hell. The calling card for preachers today is not hell, it's prosperity. The calling card is you can have your best life now live your best life now and think of all the things that god has for you right here and now and nobody ever talks about hell anymore they don't want to upset people don't want to disturb anybody and while they don't disturb people die and go to hell there is no gospel without preaching what we are delivered from that's why jesus came to die you leave it out you leave out hell you have no basis for understanding why the gospel is such good news so we will continue to preach it but if you read your, your article today and, and if you get a chance to read that i'm glad to be done glad to be done with this subject not that i'll never preach it again jorge's uh, where is he? he's not in here right now but he keeps a he keeps a there he is back there he keeps an account of how many times i say hell Good thing he doesn't follow me around during the day. No, that's a joke. Don't believe that. That's a a joke. Uh, He keeps an account of how many times I say hell in my sermons. What did you tell me last week was the record? 120 last time. Okay, 120 times. I'm not going to stop preaching about hell, but next week I'll be glad to talk about heaven. But as we talk about heaven, what are we going to do? Contrast it to how awful that hell is. But I hope you'll come back next week. If you're not saved, trust Jesus Christ. You don't want to die and go to hell. What a horrible ending for somebody when the gospel of Christ is right here to be freely received just by faith in Jesus Christ. Freely, He offers it to you. Believe it, and you'll go to heaven. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church,